Well, hello there, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from Milton Bible Church. Today, you get to hear from Abigail Corbin, who is going to speak to us about the everlasting love of God from 1 John. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning. It is such an honor to be teaching you this morning. Happy Mother's Day, and to my children who didn't know I was preaching this morning, surprise. I hope you are all doing okay. I miss you, and I can't wait to see everyone again. I hope your Mother's Day is going okay. I know this day can be hard for some people under normal circumstances, but this season is a whole other level. The truth is, parenting is hard at the best of times. Getting to church is my week's most challenging moment of parenting, honestly. After spending time cajoling my kids into getting to church, we are supposed to immediately be ready to worship, which can be really hard when you have little ones, especially when they're in the service with you worshiping. I don't know why, but my children, who just that morning wanted nothing to do with me as I'm yelling at them to get ready for church, now have to be attached to me body and limb. And as I'm trying to worship, I have to also peel these kids off my body. And then while I'm doing this balance of worshiping and trying not to yell, I look over and there's these other families just worshiping God. Parenting during the pandemic is also really challenging. On top of dealing with our own emotions of grief, anxiety, and let's be honest, boredom, we have to be present with our kids. We have to take on the responsibility now for teaching them, for helping them to process their own emotions. And yet, as hard as parenting is, many of us took on this role voluntarily. If we had done any research on parenting, we knew that the kids we brought into this world would not be perfect. One lesson I learned early on was that I could parent in a situation perfectly, but that did not guarantee perfect results. Yet somehow we were still willing to go through months of pregnancy, perhaps hours of painful labor, maybe a major abdominal surgery, or even perhaps the emotional roller coaster of adoption to have children. We did this knowing that at multiple points, our kids would mess up. They'd break our hearts. They'd rupture themselves from our heart-to-heart connections, and it would, be on ta- on, it would be our responsibility as parents to make that connection again. Yet, you don't hear parents talking about regretting having children. Instead, you see parents posting videos on social media, really of anything a parent could possibly be proud of walking, ultrasound pictures, my personal favorite, favorite is artwork. We love our kids, and when our kids demonstrate their, their love back to us, it melts our hearts. The dynamics change as kids become adults and parents age, but when our kids are young, it is very clear that their responsibility for loving consistently and faithfully rests with the parents. Genesis 1 verse 21 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I see a picture of God when I look at parents and I look at the way we love our children. Even when it's messy or when our kids make us look bad on a Sunday morning, we still love them. We loved our children long before they had any capacity to love us back. And that is exactly what God does for us. This morning, we are reading from 1 John 4, verse 7 to 18. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there now. I will be reading from the Passion Translation. This is a relatively new translation, so it might read a little bit differently to what you're used to, 
it is available online and it is a fantastic translation. In this first section, verses 7 to 10, we read, Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another, because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Here John is talking to people who have a relationship with God. But how do you know if you have a relationship with God? Because you experience his love. John wrote that in order to love others, we must first experience God's love. And God, loving others is not something that we must muster out of our own strength Ooh, to love other people. The image instead is of God's love pouring into us and then pouring into other people. Last year, I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep. So I said to God, is there someone I can pray for? And a friend came to mind. She's a pastor. And the picture God gave me was her standing in the center, surrounded by empty buckets. And my prayer then became for her that God's spirit would pour love into her bucket and that it would overflow into the other buckets around her, such that it wouldn't be an, a labor as much as just a natural outpouring of God's love into all the buckets around her. We are fathered by God, and he invites us to experience an intimate ex knowledge of him. A pastor in California, Bill Johnson, wrote that we become what we behold. We become what we behold. As we gaze on the love of God, his love flows through us, transforming us. Recently, I was listening to a podcast that was interviewing Patricia King. She's a prophetic minister, preacher, and author. She was telling the story of how when she first started giving prophetic words at her church, someone came up to her and said, I know what you're going to prophesy this Sunday. Wow, she said, what am I going to prophesy? The person replied, you're going to say, God loves you with an everlasting love. He always has and he always will. The person went on to say, I know that's what you're going to say because that's what you say every week. Patricia in her podcast talked more about how that prophetic word is significant. In fact, she says that when she's teaching people how to pray and prophesy for people, she says, have this word in your back pocket so that when you're praying for someone, if you have uh, a blank or you, you just can't think of something to pray for them, pull this word out of your back pocket and use this. As she was teaching uh, on this story, that prophetic word just started ministering to me, and I thought, I'm going to take this word, and I'm going to apply it to my own life. And so several times in the next week, I, I would say it to myself over and over again. God loves me with an everlasting love. He always has, and he always will. Before we were born, before we had any capacity to love God back, he loved us. And no matter what messes we make, how many tantrums we throw, he will still love us with that everlasting love. I would encourage you to speak these words over yourself. Particularly when you're feeling down in this tough time, God loves you with an everlasting love. He always has, and he always will. In the next section, verses 11 to 16, we read, Delightfully loved ones, if he loved us with such tremendous love, 
then loving one another should be our way of life. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us, and we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to its full expression in us, and he has given us his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives with us and that we live in him. Moreover, we have seen with our own eyes and can testify to the truth that Father God has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Those who give thanks that Jesus is the Son of God live in God, and God lives in them. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love he has for us. Again, we see this image of God loving us, and as a result, us loving others. As we demonstrate God's love to each other, God makes his permanent home in us. And in return, we get to make our permanent home in him. Interestingly, John tells us that the way we know that God is living in us is because we have the Holy Spirit. I love the last line. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love that he has for us. An intimate experience of God's love. What does that look like? To me, that means something that I have personally experienced, something that happens deep in my heart. This is why you can't borrow someone else's faith. This is why our children, at some point in their development, have to decide to develop their own faith, their own relationship with a loving God. But I also think that intimately experiencing God's love is not something that happens automatically. It's not something that happens in the background while we're just going about on our regular lives. You may have heard the definition of intimacy as in to me you see. And when we talk about having an intimate experience with God's love, that actually goes both ways. God sees into us, but we also get to see into God's heart. And that's why after experiencing God's love, we then love others, because we have seen God's heart, and so we have seen God's heart for others. Nobody would, would expect to be able to build an intimate a relationship with someone based on one or two emotional encounters. So why do we think that we can have an intimate relationship with God if we don't spend time with God? And if you're hearing me speak about God's everlasting love for you and you're thinking, I want to experience that, but I don't know how, then just like any other relationship that we build with each other, we need to invest time and energy into our relationship with God. I don't want you to hear this as some kind of admonition. I don't want you to turn your computer off after I'm done and feel guilty, thinking, oh, if only I was a better Christian, I just would pray more. What I want you to hear is that we have a loving God. God wants to invite us into an intimate experience of his love. To help us with this, I have two books that I'd highly recommend. Uh, one is called Questions for Jesus. It's a guide on how to ask Jesus questions and hear him answer. And the other one is actually this translation that I'm using today called The Passion. If you haven't heard of The Passion, they describe it as a new heart-level translation using Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic manuscripts that expresses God's fiery heart of love to this generation, merging the emotion and life-changing truth of God's word. In the last section, we read verses 16 to 19. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. 
but love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. God loves us, but humans love punishment. We love to see people get what they deserve. In movies, the bad guys often die, and that always leaves us feeling some level of satisfaction. This is true especially in kids' movies. The Incredibles is one of my favorite movies, and in it, the villain uh, is killed in a particularly creative and admittedly humorous way. I won't embarrass myself or my children by trying to impersonate any character from that movie. Sister Helen Prejean, in her book, Dead Man Walking, describes how families of victims would come and watch the person on death row be executed, expect, expecting it to bring some level of closure or healing. But Jesus came with a different way. In John 8, we read about a woman who had been caught in adultery. Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he had spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone her to death, a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they'd hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd, one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin. Here we have a collision between two paradigms, those who twisted the law for their own purposes and Jesus. The Pharisees thought they had Jesus trapped, but instead Jesus told them that their sin was no less than the woman's. And then Jesus, the only one who is without sin and the only one with authority to punish her, didn't. Why? Jesus would take the punishment on himself so that this woman could experience wholeness. You know, when it describes throwing stones, these are not pebbles that we're talking about. These would be large rocks, and the single purpose of throwing them is execution. And it's also important to recognize that Jesus didn't just send her away. He didn't send her back into the arms of the missing man. He extended grace and forgiveness and sent her on a new path a path of living. When Jesus died, he ended punishment and instead brought in repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. 
in John, in 1 John 4, it says, love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment, but love's perfection drives the fear of punishment from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. <coughs> what I believe John is saying is that we sometimes still feel like we deserve punishment. We forget that Jesus' death on the cross was complete. But to continue to self-flagellate or punish ourselves for the, for the sins Christ has forgiven us for is to miss out on the intimate experience of God's love that he is inviting us into. And not just ourselves. Jesus, <coughs> excuse me. And not just ourselves. Jesus demonstrated that instead of throwing stones at people when they make mistakes, we are actually to love them and walk beside them. We are called to journey with them through the process of repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. Throwing stones is easy. Walking with broken people is hard. But that's why we need to be filled with God's love so that we can actually soak up that love and pour it out onto the people around us. Let me ask you this. Does the world see the church as stone throwers? or as radical lovers. We are loved radically, overwhelmingly, and completely by a God who loved us so much he couldn't bear to be apart from us. So much that Jesus took on our punishment for sin on himself. We were all that woman caught in adultery, but instead of throwing stones at us, Jesus took our place. He was ex executed in our place. Through his death, Jesus loved us and redeemed us, and we are called to love radically like Jesus did. I've been really challenged lately in how I think about punishment. One of my favorite Christian authors, Danny Silk, has written a new book called Unpunishable, Ending Our Love Affair with Punishment. And if this topic is stirring something within you, I'd highly recommend getting a copy of this book. This morning, I want you to remember three things. One, Jesus' death was sufficient to cover everything you've ever done wrong. He was punished so that you don't have to be. Two, God has loved you with an everlasting love. He always has and he always will. And three, if you want to experience God's intimate love, you need to spend time with him. If you have not experienced God's love and you want to, we would love to pray with you. If you reach out to us at www.mbc.life, I'm going to say that again. This morning, I want you to remember three things. The first is that Jesus' death was sufficient to cover everything you've ever done wrong. He was punished so that you don't have to be. Second, God has loved you with an everlasting love. He always has and he always will. And lastly, if you want to experience God's love, spend time with him. If you have not experienced God's love and you want to, we would love to pray with you. If you reach out to us at www.mbc.life, we would love to connect with you. We're in a tough season. And for some people, days like today can make it easy, even harder, not easier. For those of us who are experiencing an ache in our hearts today, I would love to pray for you. God, let your love pour into our hearts. Show us your heart. Take us deeper. 
God, there are many hearts today that are hurting. Would you bring your healing touch? God, thank you that you love us like no other. Thank you that you love us like a mother, tender and intimate. And as we spend time with you this week, would you show up in miraculous and surprising ways? Would you show us your joy and give us renewed love for those around us? Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you were blessed by the teaching today. If you would like to get connected in any way, as Abby said, please head on over to nbc.life, and we'd be happy to connect with you there. Thanks so much, and have a blessed week.